This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Money. In our world, it really does grow on trees. And it's mined from the ground. At least the materials that represent money are. Why are we still using bits of metal, paper and plastic to fuel the global economy? Wonders Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. If we can moan and whinge and work digitally, why are we still reliant on physical money? Are we ready to take the next step and go completely cashless? So Matt, if we're talking about money, does that mean you're under some new UN sanctions? Hey, Jeff. Uh, Well, it is true that I like cash. Um, I was very unhappy when the US phased out the uh, $1,000 bill as it meant I had to buy nine more stash houses just to keep the same amount of money in. It's really Mm, inconvenient. mm, mm. And then one of them burned down. So I switched to coins because, you know, they last a bit longer. So (laughs) now as we extract the cobalt and uranium from my mines, I refill them with coins. It really feels good to be putting something back. So you're mining uranium? Well, I bought a DeLorean, so I thought I'd better have my own fuel supply. (laughs) Um, I only sell to close friends, so I really don't know why the UN is interested. I feel like we're moving further away from today's topic, and it's surprising it's only the start of the show. Is money really a fun Friday topic? Well, what could be more fun than money? Uh, And especially on a Friday, uh, you're looking forward to going out with your friends. Well, that's going to cost you money. Mm -hmm. Catch a movie over the weekend. Money. Take your kids out. Waste of money. Money is the Fridayest thing (laughs) in the world. So how does any of this relate to being ready to go cashless? Well, for the last couple of years, I've been wanting to do a show on whether or not I could survive for a week or a month in Malaysia without using any cash. So just using contactless payments, Mm. e-wallets, that kind of thing. And where it stumbles is the small details, you know, things like car parks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some of them will accept touch and go. Some of them don't. Uh, Yes, I could get around by taxi and pay for the things electronically, but that would then mean spending a lot more money. So you know, it becomes kind of self-defeating. And presumably it also means sticking with the big retailers. Well, yeah. I mean, there are still plenty of places that don't take cards or scan your phone in Malaysia. Mm. The mom and pop places, the food stalls. And let's face it as well, using your card is still a lot slower than using cash. It's why the cash-only lane in the supermarket is often the fastest one. It must be possible with a few tweaks to your lifestyle, though. I think it would be possible. But like I said, it would be more expensive. You know, I mentioned about car parks and Mm. taking taxis instead. Um, And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced rolling up to a petrol station here to find out (laughs) that all their electronic payments are offline, you Mm. know. So you have to have money because you've got no petrol in your car, you're you're (laughs) done. Uh, Plenty of times I've walked into restaurants and smaller retailers and their point of sale systems are down and they can only accept cash. So yes, you could do it, but it wouldn't be seamless or easy Mm. in the way that China seems to be moving towards, for example, or even Sweden, where close to 90% of transactions are already made with cards. Yeah, I, I should have known about that before going to Sweden because I made a lot oh, of change. Of course, yes, because you told me you changed a lot of money, but you didn't I came use back any with most of it, yeah. Because yeah. nobody wants to accept cash. They say, Sorry, sir, no cash accepted. Oh, oh okay, right. So I had to use card. Anyways, so strange. Yeah, so we're talking about whether or not we need physical money. Yeah, I mean, the chances are that here in Malaysia, you do need some physical money in your pocket at all times, Mm. an argument I constantly have with my wife. (laughs) When I'm back home in the UK or on holiday in places like Australia or Japan, I don't really use a lot of cash. Like you said, you know, you you don't need to have much in your money. In fact, 
you know, I, I'm only using cash because I'm hoping to get a better exchange rate than the ones yeah. that the banks and the credit card companies use for settling their, their various currency transactions. Mm, mm, mm. But we are seeing an increasing number of calls for physical money to be phased out. In favor of cryptocurrencies. Uh, partly, that oh. is one of the options. Right. Um, and yes, this is me easing my way into a number <laughs> of shows over the next few weeks where we will look at blockchain and cryptocurrencies and uh, digital money. Not all of the shows, obviously, but <laughs> peppered across the uh, the next few weeks. But before we even get to the idea of replacing central bank-backed national currencies in favour of decentralised international currencies, I thought we should start somewhere a little closer to home, which is the immediate future of the money that's in our pockets today. Okay. But do we need to go into what money actually is? Well, other than saying it probably isn't what a lot of people assume it is, you know, this is a business station. So I guess we don't need to talk about that side. There's plenty of other shows where you can yeah. get the podcast and get that. So I will paraphrase uh, Victoria Cleland, who's an executive director at the Bank of England. And this is a quote from New Scientist. She says that uh, cash has uh, three crucial functions in modern societies. One, that it's Easily exchangeable from person to person. Again, that's not a big surprise. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what it's worth. Again, no surprises there. And its value changes very little from day to day. Which is why you keep complaining that cryptocurrencies are currently largely useless. Yeah, because people are viewing them as an investment vehicle, like a bond or a tradable asset, not as a means of exchange. So I'm not going to go off on one today. In forthcoming <laughs> shows, we'll talk about ways that the blockchain can increase transparency and stability. Um, and why digital currencies currently aren't doing that. But the present wave of demonetization isn't based on these kind of cryptocurrencies. It's based on spending money without resorting to cash, or rather letting those cash transactions be settled at the macro level between banks rather than at the point of exchange. We hear reports that cash is being used less and less, but is that true? Well, I'm quoting heavily today from a New Scientist piece by a guy called uh, Joshua Haugigo, and it seems that globally that is true, but there are some quite odd caveats, and it's also being applied a little bit unevenly. In favour of developed countries? Well, you might assume so, but not strictly, no. Yeah. Um, you know, we all watch the news reports about China's cities where people use their phones to pay for absolutely everything and nobody ever takes cash Even the homeless. Them. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, everyone uses it. So... Um, and some developed economies are leading the way, like Sweden, Japan, Switzerland and Denmark. Um, but those all have the advantage of being relatively small economies. Now, I don't have the data for this, but I think that the US is probably a little behind most developed yeah. countries in this kind of digital adoption simply because of its size. So there's a lot of friction built into that mm. system. But digital transactions are rising in countries that uh, traditionally excluded large parts of their population from the banking sector. So you see a massive uptake of digital solutions across the African continent, for example. Uh, Kenya already sees almost 50% of its GDP transacted through mobile digital payment systems. And Malaysia? We're kind of a halfway house, I guess. I mean, we're lagging behind Singapore in implementation and rollout, um, and we pale against Indonesia in terms of volume and population size, obviously. At the moment, we seem to be in the middle of one of those format <laughs> battles as well. Uh, if you walk into a shop, you'll see like signs for yeah. like a dozen different <laughs> kind of e-wallets. So... There's a whole bunch of them all competing for our mobile dollars. Each of them requires its own mm. terminals and scanning solutions. So I don't think that's something that's going to last. At the same time, 
the retail banking sector in Malaysia does have a strong reach, but there is still a vestige of that traditional keep your money under the mattress mm. kind of mentality. Which brings us back to the odd caveats you mentioned a little while ago. Well, yes, those of our listeners with the luxury of having savings will be bemoaning the low interest rates we've seen from banks over mo- most of the last 10 years. Um, some countries, including Japan and Sweden, have even instituted negative interest rates. Ooh, wow. Uh, you put money into the bank and it's worth less every day? Yeah, uh, this is generally known as a tax on savings. So what they expect to happen is that you spend rather than save. Um, again, no hmm. big news there. We knew, uh, we all know rather that the stagnation that the Japanese economy has experienced for the last couple of decades is partly as a result of high levels of consumer savings and low levels of spending. Uh, low and negative interest rates push you to spend now rather than save for the future. Presumably that should increase the demand for cash. Yes, or at least raise the incidence of transactions, whether by cash or digital. Um, But it can also encourage people to literally put the money under their mattress. (laughs) Um, If the bank makes you little money or costs you money, or you have no confidence in the banking sector, you hold on to ever-increasing amounts of cash. And that's a trend we're seeing even in countries like the UK. People are keeping more Mm. money at home and out of the financial sector because they aren't getting returns on that money. Which still isn't weird. Well, it is when you look at Sweden. So the convenience of electronic transactions seem to be pushing Swedes to hold ever less cash, even though they have negative interest rates. So you would expect Swedes to hold more cash, but actually they're keeping it all in the bank and doing everything Mm. in a cashless form, even though it literally costs the money. Um, That's not to say that they aren't putting money into other convertible assets. It could be gold, property, potatoes. um, (laughs) But, you know, they're not moving towards cash. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the factors that's propelling the Swedish central bank to take a serious look at augmenting their currency with a second digital version. All right. When we come back, we will look at a case for digitizing traditional currencies versus jettisoning them in favour of a digital currency. It's Fun Friday, BFM 89.9. Build financial mountains, BFM 89.9. And we're back, it's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. A very odd show this week. Matt seems to be offering us as much fact as opinion. It's weird, isn't it? (laughs) I'm not sure that I like it or I trust it. Also, on previous shows, when we arrive at the end, then you will just admit that this is all a lie. So, Matt, is today's show a lie? I hope not. If it is, it's other people's lies and not my (laughs) own, which I guess would be kind of a first. Um, I admit it, you know, this world of uh, (laughs) digital money is a little bit confusing. Mm. So, for example, before the break, we were talking about Sweden's current exploration of the idea of a digital currency, which is what they're calling the they're calling it the e-krona now it's not obvious to me why you would want to replace the currency rather than simply withdraw the notes of your existing currency as you replace them with a digital version i imagine that has more to do with monetary policy governance and credibility than it does with the technology has any government taken concrete steps to introduce a digital currency well venezuela seems to have latched (laughs) onto the idea of a cryptocurrency (laughs) as a way of reining in the hyperinflation that its currency is 
in the midst of. Um, from what I've read about it, and yes, and you're laughing, um, no one really seems to understand what it is or how it's supposed to stabilize the economy. Uh, most economists certainly don't seem to be taking it seriously. Yeah, it's very dodgy. That's what they say. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it is something to watch, but yeah. it's mm. hurried introduction and the already kind of dangerous state of the Venezuelan economy may make it difficult to objectively analyze it in any case. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I think Sweden, Singapore and South Africa, all the S countries, <laughs> are looking into some form of digital currency or at least backbone or, or system for the currencies. The blockchain. Well, again, I'm not going to get too involved in what the blockchain is or isn't today. Isn't seems to be the more important thing. <laughs> uh, we'll do more of that over the coming few weeks. Certainly, if my understanding is correct, Singapore is very interested in the ability of the blockchain to increase transparency, uh, speed, accountability, and also to reduce the cost of banking transactions. Uh, it has a project called Project Ubin, but that's currently limited to back-end transactions, so things like settling interbank debts and transactions. Mm. It's not a consumer experiment, at least not yet. And South Africa is taking a more regulatory approach. Yes, South Africa's central bank has instituted a regulatory sandbox, and that sandbox with a capital S. Oh, they are calling it nice. the sandbox, which mm. is quite cool. It's like the Minecraft generation <laughs> is finally making like financial policy. So they're partnering with some technology companies to examine the implications of various cryptocurrency and blockchain implementations. And how is Sweden's approach different? Well, Sweden's Riksbank has proposed uh, two alternatives, uh, and that's Sweden's central bank. I just thought I'd use the Swedish yeah, word for yeah. it. Um, <laughs> one would be similar to the kind of money and transactions we already use, uh, except that it would be mm. digital. So the digital currency would be maintained centrally and money would be transferred back and forth. The second is a more radical solution. It's the digital files themselves that have value. Now, I don't pretend to understand that. Okay. All right. um, and I at this just... point, I don't think we need to. <laughs> um, but the digital file itself would be almost like a piece of gold. Okay. It would have right. value in and of itself. Okay. And that would allow you to exchange them with people who are actually outside the formal banking system. Is that important in a modern economy? Aren't most people already within mainstream banking system? Well, most are, but it's easy to overlook the people in the dark or the grey economy. Um, sociologists often look at this section of the workforce as uh, living or leading precarious or chaotic lives, not because they are necessarily doing anything criminal or wrong, simply because they are at risk of exploitation. Mm. So day workers, casual labourers, people whose income is not fixed or regular – and one way to regularize or normalize people in the sector is to give them a method of transacting that brings them into the wider economy. That enables them to declare their income and pay taxes, not that they will want to do that, but mm. it enables them to do that. Um, they can receive government credits. It makes it harder as well for employers to underpay or exploit them in, in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Again, we'll talk more about this subject and its relation to blockchain and the dark economy over the next few weeks. Now, Sweden can't have such a large informal sector that it needs a digital currency. Well, obviously, there are a lot of reasons why the country is looking into an e-currency. Um, one of the interesting ones is actually to protect Swedes from volatility. Haven't we seen digital cryptocurrencies increasing volatility? 
Yes. And one of the reasons for that is the lack or absence of a central bank. Mm. So there's no one to intervene and stabilize the currency. So that's great if you're a free market advocate. Not so great if you want to use a cryptocurrency to buy milk and eggs. Mm. So I I keep saying this today. I'm not going to go too much further (laughs) into that area. We'll go back to Sweden. Um, Oh, and if any of our listeners want to watch a gentle, funny comedy, check out the two seasons of Welcome to Sweden on your favorite streaming service. Mm. Anyway, back to Sweden. Um, (laughs) The the Riksbank is proposing the currency partly to ensure Swedish citizens against the power of digital payment merchants. Like Visa and PayPal and those kind of stuff. Well, precisely. um, Because one thing we overlook is that cashless transactions are not frictionless. Uh, That's one of the purposes, I believe, of Singapore's experiments with blockchain. Currently, most of our digital transactions involve a third party, Visa or MasterCard, PayPal, and increasingly those app-based services that we mentioned at the start. And what's Sweden's problem with them? Nothing uh, per se, but when you pay something with cash, you make a direct agreement with the retailer. You're you're making an exchange. Mm-hmm. When you make a cashless transaction, there's an intermediary, a third party who guarantees that you have the money to pay and that the retailer will receive that money. But that increases the cost of your purchases because the third party takes a cut. Mm-hmm. So either the retailer absorbs the cost of it or it gets passed on to the consumer. Generally, it gets passed on to the consumer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's why in Malaysia still some retailers will give you an additional discount if you're paying in cash. Mm. Again, this isn't new. Forgetting Sweden, why would any country want to protect its citizens from a payment gateway? Well, when cash is still in the majority, you don't have to worry about the third parties because because they're just bit players in your economy. Mm. Sweden is accelerating this because, as we said at the start, its citizens are already completing nearly 90% of their transactions electronically. In that scenario, the third parties have a lot more power. So let's be realistic. Um, Apple and Samsung and Amazon and Alipay are not in this game for a slice of the pie. They want the whole pie. (laughs) Apple and Samsung, because it boosts their ecosystem and it opens other profitable avenues. Amazon and Alipay, because, well, they want all of everything, pretty much. Um, They're a bit like the Zek in those Jack Reacher movies. (laughs) And because technology tends to push one party to a monopoly position. Exactly. No, we've seen that uh, frictionless adoption in technology tends to favor a dominant party. Uh, Facebook is for whinging about your boss. Mm. LinkedIn is for pretending you're the boss. (laughs) Uh, Instagram is for cat pictures. Snapchat is, well, nobody really knows what Snapchat's for. Um, (laughs) If you do know what it's for, you can tweet us, but then Twitter (laughs) is for crazed despots, so we really don't want you to tweet us. Uh, Google is for search. Bing is, well, it's just funny. And Apple Maps is someone's weird steampunk vanity project. Last week, I tried it again, and it told me it would take 12 minutes to walk to somewhere that was literally two minutes away in a straight line. It also wanted me to use an elevated walkway to cross the same highway twice, across it, and to come back to where I'd started. Tangents aside, what is your point? Well, the fear is that one or two companies would eventually rise to the surface because that is what has happened, tended Mm, to happen mm. in the digital revolution. So that power becomes concentrated. Not such an issue when it's a three-way tussle between Visa, MasterCard and American Express for a 20% share of the transactions. 
less fun when it's Apple and Amazon fighting over 90% mm. plus. Mm. So there's a possibility of a chilling or distortion effect. Well, if there's one dominant payment system, then the likelihood is that payments would become more expensive because there's no competition to encourage lower costs. Mm. So it becomes take it or leave it. And you can't leave it because no one is carrying cash anymore. So you're forced to actually adopt the system. And presumably there are security concerns. Well, that's also part of the argument. Uh, when we've seen concerted cyber assaults on countries like Estonia and the Ukraine, payment systems are one of the first things that mm. come under heavy attack. Taking government websites offline is one thing, but stopping ATMs and debit cards from working is a really blunt tool for causing social chaos. If you only have one system, and that system is a third-party private company, you open yourself to some fairly substantial security issues. No matter how good a system's security, there are always going to be weaknesses or there'll be a flaw that some kind of bad actors can exploit. And then, of course... You get to all the data. I knew it. We've come back around to one of your pet subjects, privacy. I told you today wasn't going to be a pack of lies. I never claimed it wouldn't be self-serving. Why do you think my name is on the show? Um, yes, those transaction companies would have an enormous picture of your life. So go back to Amazon. Uh, if you use the IMDb website... Amazon knows your film and TV preferences, mm. even if you aren't using any of its services to watch or stream them. Repeat that a dozen times over every day. And then if you use Amazon or any of its partners for your online shopping, mm. imagine the picture of your life it would have if it also controlled the payment gateways. Consider how many transactions most of us make every day, um, from public transport or paying tolls yeah. to buying a coffee after lunch. That's also a physical tracking mechanism. Those till receipts show where you are and when you were doing that. You really don't like Amazon, do you? Well, I'm ambivalent about Amazon. I, mean, I kind of marvel at it and fear it at yeah. the same time. But it isn't really about Amazon. Um, maybe Amazon won't be the one that rises to the mm -hmm. top. It's just a useful example because we can all picture it and imagine it. So yeah. it's a, a tool in that sense. But on the other hand, some digital advocates say that uh, this data concentration needn't be all bad. Uh, for example, some online banks already consolidate your purchases into categories, and that makes it easier for you to track and manage your expenditure. Mm. So it shows what percentage you spend on groceries or beer or online shopping. So you can, you can manage things a bit more easily. But they do admit that it requires a different approach to privacy, mm. and that's why with a lot of these kind of uh, new online and app-based banking systems, they do maintain that the information gathering has to be upfront and obvious. People have to consciously opt in. Mm, which people have to understand what they're opting into. Well, yeah, and that brings us back to the e-krona. Mm. Um, with a digital currency, you know what you're opting into. So with our existing money supply and the digital part controlled via intermediaries, you don't always know what you're opting into. And most of us don't need money for its own sake. Well, no, it's not an original Star Wars figurine that you need to keep pristine in its box. You know, it's a necessity, but it's also part of our security and safety. And until we sort out those issues of security, safety and privacy, I think most of us are going to want to keep a little bit of cash under the pillow. So for now, I think you can keep the digital currencies. Man, I'm a teacher there talking about how we could or could not possibly go cashless. 
are still confused at the end of like what 25 minutes of talking to you, Matt. Well, if <laughs> if if you have a clear picture after 20 minutes of conversation with me, then you've been listening wrong. <laughs> Matt Amitage there uh, with another episode. Uh, he'll be back for Geek Squad after this. Also, you can check out culturepop.com. It's culture with a K for transcripts of these shows. And you can find out how to bring a little bit of Matt's planning to your company. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.